We're going to kick Todd off here in a moment. <clears throat> This is the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. How are you? Time marches on. I can just say that a million times because it's true. I can't believe it. Like, I wait all winter for summer, and then I get into summer, and it zooms by, and I'm, like, not even paying attention. I'm missing it. It's just zooming by me. What is wrong with me? I'm This is – I'm never happy. Never, never happy, except when I'm with you. Now, this is true happiness. In case you're wondering, this is what happiness looks like and feels like. Just check around, look around, touch yourself. It's happiness. That is what happiness feels like right there. You're in the midst of it. How are you? How was your week? Anything exciting happening? I'm hoping you're well, and I'm hoping everything's going swimmingly and that you're, um, you know, taking some time for some work-life balance. Slowing down to smell the flowers, that kind of stuff, because uh, that always seems like an important thing to do. Um, how'd you enjoy part one of the uh, CHOL speech? Did you like it? The community of human and organizational learning speech part one. I think it's interesting. Um, not like I think I'm interesting cause that's not true. Uh, I do think it's interesting that I got to talk a little bit about sort of the three secret weapons. And if you didn't hear part one, um, you know, go back and listen to it. Maybe that'd be a great thing. I don't know if that's necessary, but if you have time, why not? Um, basically, what I introduce is the idea that you have to meet the organization where they are. So not where you want them to be. And this is kind of an issue because we think about these things all the time. And so our thinking is a little farther along. Not that it's more mature or better. We've just we've really dealt with these ideas and struggled with them and kind of come to a point where we have some peace with it. The rest of the organization may not be there. So you have to start at the beginning because if you don't start at the beginning, people have a really difficult time joining in the middle. Well, this whole podcast is an example of that. If you're just starting right now, you're thinking, what the crap is he talking about? Because you're being asked to come in in the middle of the conversation. And it's hard to come in in the middle of the conversation, right? The second secret weapon, which I think is, is important as well, and, and that is really the idea that we ultimately know that the group owns the problem. And because the group owns the problem, the group has to it just they have to or own the solution. I mean, if that just makes sense. To, I mean, that's not even difficult. But of course, you can't come in from the outside and solve a problem that's owned by an organization that has the problem. They have to kind of come to that solution by themselves or within themselves. Maybe that's a better way to say it. And then the third secret weapon is don't get too far away from first principles. Don't leave the fundamentals, which is the point of the entire speech. And then I got to give my secret uh, fourth one, which is don't have conversations that make you dumber. So when you're in the middle of a conversation that makes you dumber, stop it. Because don't have conversations that make you dumber. It's Life's too short. Summer is moving too fast to spend even a minute on a conversation that's dumb. Don't do it. That's what I say. Which leads us <laughs> into this conversation, which is dangerously close to dumb. So we're moving into it. Let's listen to part two of this, baby, and see what you think. Now, part two, we're going to dig into this a little bit more 
and have some interesting convo around this idea. I'm not going to say much about part two, except that I think you'll find it very interesting because I spend an inordinate amount of time, more time than one should, I think, around the notion of the relationship between air, blame, and choice. Because I'm pretty convinced that if you picked one thing to spend your resource on to change your organization's leadership philosophy, it's the discussion around air, blame, and choice. I got an email just today from someone. I don't know the person. They want to talk to me. And they said they're really having a difficult time because their workers are putting themselves into risky positions. Well, so that's good. But I'm guessing that um, their workers are always at normal every day, what's happening when nothing bad's happening in risky positions because it's risky positions. So we'll see how this all ends. But that's a really good telltale of a discussion that you have to have to get that group ready, which is kind of around the idea of workers and choice and air and all those things. That's a big part of it. Let's dig into this and see where we come out at the end of this part two. So this is part two of C-H-O-L. Enjoy the speech already in progress. It's that simple. Now, we happen to know that the way they're going to improve is by creating the opportunity to effectively learn on a continuous basis. And to get them to do that, we have to think differently. And thinking differently is a big part of the challenge, which takes us right back to first principles. Now, first principles, this is the definition. First principles are one of the fundamental assumptions on which a particular theory or practice is thought. It's the, it's the fundamental underpinning of what change looks like. And if you ask me to define a first principles for us, but the one I would go to, because it's the one I think about all the time, and it's the one you've been a part of this journey and a part of this change for many years. I mean, you're all incredibly young and super good looking, but think about how old Rob Fisher is. Just think about it. And you know he's one depend diaper away from teaching a full class. Let's just put that out there. But part of our challenge is, is if we think about our first principles, the one that comes to my mind is this one. We help shift the world. And I don't mean that egotistically, and I don't mean it that our job is done, and I don't mean that we're so great that nobody else can touch us, although... I would suggest as a collective group, there's about 215 people in that room that are pretty darn great. I would suggest that this is a, this is a real first principle idea. That safety itself is not the absence of accidents. That safety is the presence of safeguards. Or, or, or as we've come to sort of create, the presence of capacity. And that notion that safety creates a presence that safety is not the absence of something bad, it's the presence of something good, that is a first principle idea. And that actually is foundational to creating the change that we've worked so diligently for so long to help create. Now, remember, the group owns the problem, so they have to own the solution, and we have to start where the group is. 
Well, a big part of that challenge is realizing that this little phrase, the one you see behind me right here, that little phrase is in many ways earth-shattering because it runs counter to what we've constantly said for years and years and years and years and years and years, and years is that the way we measure safety is by the absence of failure. This really has created this new conversation. And the new conversation we're having actually helps organizations improve. So it sort of meets our test. It goes back to our first principles as a community, which is the ability to help organizations learn. And it meets the first principles of kind of understanding system stability and resilience at a much better level. And it helps shift thinking at a first principles level at a fundamental philosophical change. So part of what all of us have suffered with is when we bring these ideas to our organization, they want it to be a program. They want it to have spinning charts and all sorts of things and you can touch it and you can, and we've always said this is more of a philosophical shift and less of a programmatic shift. In fact, one of the coolest advantages we have is the fact that these ideas can be used in any existing program to help that existing program get better at analyzing and learning from itself and creating improvement. Well, that shift is because at a fundamental level, the first principles level, what we're shifting is really the definition of our outcome. And so when I say in the three big secrets, always go back to first principles, that's where I want you to really go is we have to go back to the idea that safety is not taking bad things out of the organization. Safety is putting good things in the organization. It doesn't make it harder to have an accident. It makes it easier to be resilient. And that shift, which remember for us, is a conversation we've had both with people and in our brains for a long time, that conversation is pretty new. Now, how do we build that understanding of the first principles? Well, that part I think has been really interesting, and that journey's been a part of it. And one of the ways that i found is to really understand that there are the five principles of human performance, right? And, and you know these, so... That isn't going to be terribly novel, but I think we need to talk about them because this part, I think, is the part where we're seeing the most change happen. So if you remember correctly, back in the olden days, back when everybody was young and thin and had lots of hair and super happy, remember those days? You could eat anything you wanted. Onions didn't keep you awake at night. Those days. Remember those old days? We started with a set of principles that were sort of created um, through a series of really thoughtful, brilliant people who sort of served as the foundation. And, and those principles over time have morphed and changed and adapted, and I think that's normal. But they need to always be able to anchor back to that first principle idea. And so... What's happened now is that we're seeing these principles move, but my challenge to you, and, and I really want you to think about it, 
is that we're doing a tremendous amount of work with organizations and not ever really talking about the fundamental principles. And so therefore, the organization doesn't have the benefit to go back and redefine from the first principles level what's happening. So when things get rough, when things get tough, and organizations all ebb and flow, they move forward and backward, they don't have that foundation to land on to recalibrate and start again. So the challenge is, is if we start with the solution, we've taken away the ability to do the learning. And so you remember this because we've talked about it before, but the answer is always the enemy of the question. And so if we give people answers, then what they lose is the ability to formulate the question. And if they can't formulate the question, then it becomes really difficult to learn. In fact, it becomes almost unnecessary to take the time to learn because you already think you know what the problem is. And if you think about examples of that, that's how we drifted over time to pretty much an entirely worker-centric understanding of failure. The worker, the, the organization had an event because the worker failed to meet the espoused expectations of the organization. And that, that's, that, that held a lot of water for a long, long time until it didn't. Things that never happen happen all the time. You'll know things that never happen happen all the time the next time you go to your house and there's a burglar in your guest bedroom. Let's just put that out there. But these five principles, they're sort of worth talking about. And they, they're, they're, they're simple, right? People make mistakes. We understand that one completely. Blame fix him, fixes nothing. And in fact, my favorite phrase, which comes exactly from you guys, is that what blame really does is stop learning. Blame stops learning. Blame halts improvement. Learning is vital. It's everything. Behavior is a function of context. That's kind of a new idea adapted from the old principles. And then last but not least, how leaders react makes a difference. Let's talk about these, but let's not talk fundamentally about the principle because we understand the principle. Let's talk about what's going on in these principles that make it happen. And let's start with the first one. Because the first one, in my mind, is the most interesting. And in fact, remember I said earlier, you're going to have to have the same conversation a million times for many, many, many years. This is the one that I probably have spent the most amount of time talking about. And probably I'm not done talking about this. The good news is, is I don't find this tedious. And the more I talk about mistakes the more I learn and understand human nature at, at, at a better level, at least for me. And one of the challenges when we say people make mistakes is really moving the organization away from the fundamental attribution bias, which the fundamental attribution bias basically says a better worker would have made a better decision. We have to move them slowly and surely away from that fundamental attribution bias in order to have a conversation that equates into learning. And so over the years, and I've thought about this so much, over the years, I think the most important message that I've come up with in this idea around mistakes is probably also the most simple one. But I think it's the one we miss, and it's this one. 
human error is not a choice. And so if we look at the idea that workers have free will, or maybe a better way to say that is that workers exercise agency within the organization, which I think that's entirely up for debate and discussion. And I'm hoping Ron Gant takes this squarely on the minute I shut off the computer and go back to sleep. Okay. I hope he just takes it squarely on next. But the idea that somehow workers have the ability to choose to not do something is a pretty important thing for us to think about. Every worker that's ever fallen through a hatch. And for some reason, I've done a whole bunch of events where workers fall through hatches. And many times, sadly, they fall to their death. So it's a pretty serious thing. But any time a person falls into a hole, you can just kind of at a basic level realize that they didn't do that because they chose to. They did it because they thought the hole was not a hole. The only way you can step into an open hatch is to believe that the hatch is not open. That's the only way. I mean, if you thought it was open, you wouldn't step in there. You might accidentally fall in there, but for the most part, the events I've looked at, the people sort of walked to their demise. The important realization for us at a fundamental level is that error is not a choice. And if error is not a choice, then asking workers to not make mistakes is not going to be effective. And so all the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours we've spent telling workers to be more accurate, to be more careful, to take their t- to try harder, to jump faster, to be better, that time is like sitting in an airport for three and a half hours. It's a moment of your life you're not getting back. And it actually makes the conversation dumber, not smarter. In fact, if we were really going to focus on this and make conversations smarter, make learning more effective, one of the big shifts we'd have to take into this is that the organization itself doesn't do anything, not jack squat, to quote what the kids are saying, in managing air. It just doesn't. It doesn't manage air. It can't manage error because error is not a choice. And if error is not a choice, then you can't ask people to not make mistakes. So you can't manage error. What organizations manage are that error-likely situation, those error-prone events. They manage the consequence of the inevitable error that's going to happen in a system. So when a failure takes place, one of the fundamental discussions that you have to have, and I know you're having this, But one of the fundamental discussions you have to have is not the novelty of the worker mistake, but the fragility of the system in which the mistake was made. And that idea that if you come and tell a story of a worker who screwed up and it had a big consequence to operations or a big consequence to production or a big consequence to quality, The most interesting part of that story is not the fact that the worker made a mistake. In fact, this room, you guys collectively are a really good crowd to sort of understand that that's probably the most predictable part of the entire event. That part just happens. The most interesting part of the story 
is that the worker was in an environment where one mistake could lead to that consequence, to, to perhaps even a catastrophic consequence. And so our challenge is, is that we really, at a fundamental level, when we talk about error, are really talking about this idea of free agency and the fact that workers don't exercise choice when they make a mistake. A mistake is an unintended deviation from an expected outcome. It's a mistake. That's exactly, it's a surprise. Had they known differently, they absolutely would have done, had I known there was no hatch cover on the place I'm about to step, I would not step there. And that part of the discussion is vital. Now, that is the first principle, and it's remained the first principle for many, many, many years. And yet, I would suggest part of our challenges is that we see that as so simple and so basic that we kind of no longer spend the time building the first principle discussion around why this matters. And it matters a ton. It matters an entire great amount because it really leads us into principle two. Now, principle two, the idea that blame fixes nothing or blame stops learning, principle two is valuable and consistent. It's been around since the beginning, and it's a really important idea because what it does is it helps us actually move the focus away from the person who touched the object last to a much more holistic understanding of the context-rich environment in which the failure took place. But here's where this gets tricky, and you guys know this, and if you didn't, today's going to be a big day, is the relationship between principle one and principle two is almost inseparable. In fact, one can't live without the other. You cannot talk about blame until you talk about the fact that mistakes are not choices. But you can't talk about human error without talking about the idea of blame. And so what's crazy, at least to me, you may not think it's crazy, but to me what's so interesting is that these two principles must coexist at the same time, which is kind of what coexist means if you're following along at home, right? They live in parallel. They're in, in absolutely inseparably connected to one another. And so in order for you to be successful at actually helping people be better at learning, you must first help people redefine the notion of success, the presence of capacity, and then next help them understand the fact that error is not a choice. Are you starting to see where this first principle discussion starts to make its money. Why scientists everywhere or engineers everywhere talk about going back to first principles because it's so fundamental to the way we develop. Now, I'm just going to say this, and I don't mean to offend, although I'm really far away, and if I were going to defend, offend you, this would be the time to do it. But I think part of our challenge in organizations that are having a difficult time diffusing these new ideas is that we haven't spent enough time on these issues. 
if something happens and they believe the worker failed the organization, then and it's not sabotage and it's not criminal, then what that tells us is that we didn't do a good job meeting the group where they are. Top secret tool number one. Now that challenge is a big one. And it means that we have to sort of constantly have this relationship between error and blame. But to me, the power is, is that it helps us really shift the way we think about workers. And so this phrase, which you've heard a million times, we have to stop seeing the worker as the problem to be fixed and start seeing the worker as a solution to draw upon. This is, at least in my opinion, and I would certainly open this up to discussion because I think this should be a kind of an interesting part of the discussions you guys have. This is fundamentally the first principles of organizational learning is that when we learn by understanding the workers are a source of information, and not a source of the problem, then it allows us to get deeper, more profound understanding of how our work is done. Because after all, if you want to know how work is done, who do you talk to? The people who do the work. And what's so funny about that is that that's always true. It's true for us. It's true for every leader that's in your organization at any level And it's really true globally. It doesn't really define itself by cultural boundaries. It's never defined itself by geographical boundaries. It's sort of a fundamental first principle notion that the people who touch the system have the most profound knowledge of how the system works. Now, that runs counter to lots of traditional thinking that runs counter to classic Tayloristic ideas. Frederick Taylor, who said, we have to clearly separate working from thinking. But ultimately, what we're doing is reinvigorating, rejuvenating, almost a renaissance thinking around how we see the workers. But it's fundamentally tied back to this idea. The belief somehow that human error is a choice stops us from learning and starts us into blame. Ultimately, I think the challenge is, is the belief that another worker would have made a better choice or had it been me, had I been doing the work when I saw the suitcase in the driveway, I would not have gone into the house. That's crazy. You're nuts. But ultimately, that's not the case. Now, the crazy thing about principle one and principle two is that oftentimes the most egregious transpirers of these ideas are the people who've had the event themselves. And so my last word around blame and error is that you're going to have to be very, very, very thoughtful in having discussions 
with the leadership in your organization and they will be iterative discussions. You'll slowly but surely make progress and you'll have them what seems like a billion times. But you'll also have to have this same discussion with the workers who have failures. Because one of our biggest challenges is, and we carry this as human beings, is when something bad happens and we bring a worker in to have a discussion around what happened bad, chances are really high, no matter where you are on the globe, that the workers are going to look you in the eye and say, I screwed up. It's my fault. I'm bad. And the reason they say that, I mean, it's pretty simple. One, it's much easier to admit that you screwed up early because it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. If you do it really fast, then it's going to be painful for a moment, but then the pain doesn't prolong itself and last forever. Secondly, if I admit guilt, then I'm going to take the heat off my coworkers, which peer pressure is a strong – it's the reason I wear pants. It's a strong pressure. And thirdly – is because at the time, the worker truly believes retrospectively that they really should have made a different choice. The, the problem with retrospect is that it makes mistakes choices. So every mistake in retrospect looks like a choice. But in actual context, it's not. And so our challenge is, is that we have to understand the worker is a source of information And that the work we do makes the system better. It doesn't remove the bad things. It puts in the good things. And so when a worker looks us in the eye and says, I know better, I just got lazy and didn't do it, we have to look them in the eye and say, I know it feels that way. But if we stop there, all we've learned is that you're lazy. What we need to learn is the deeper, richer understanding of what's going on in the world around us. And that challenge is a huge, huge, huge part of how we make improvement. Now, these first two ideas, as basic as they seem to us, and I can't say that enough times to you, I know these are really basic ideas. We've had this conversation. You don't even need this conversation. But ultimately, I think it's so important because what I'm seeing are discussions around this idea of improvement and learning that aren't based in these first principle ideas. And so here's what I know. And I think you know the same thing. I mean, we can sort of collectively agree on this, I'll bet you. And that is, if they don't have those first principle idea discussions, then their learning programs aren't going to learn the right things. And they're not going to be effective. And most importantly, they're not going to be sustainable. The way we create long-term change is by changing the basic assumptions we have, the first principles we have about how the world operates. And remember, although I don't feel like I need to say this out loud because it hurts me to say it, but remember, there's an arc to progress, there's an arc to improvement, and it has the ability to move both ways. Organizations ebb and flow. And for all the improvement your organization has made, the potential for them to move backwards, to backslide, is always present and pretty normal. In fact, organizations backsliding 
is predictable. And when it happens, it helps us understand that we need to go back and have that first principle discussion again. Now that makes a huge difference, and that's a big, big part of what we want to think about and how we progress. Check out part two. What do you think? Is it building to some kind of crazy suspense? It kind of is in a way, isn't it? Because next up is the conclusion. So hang on for next week because next week I think you'll find stunningly interesting. Stunningly interesting. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Be well. Check in on one another. And good enough. Uh, and good, I can't even talk. For goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Be safe.